Hi Sound of Play listeners, this is Thomas Quilfelt with another Sound of Play Extra interview, this time with Darren Korb of Supergiant Games, audio director, composer and lead voice actor for the smash hit action roguelike Hades. Darren has been composing and doing sound design for games since the late noughties alongside the Supergiant team, which shipped their first game Bastion in 2011. Since then, Corb and company have, game by game, built a house style and a loyal fan base. With their 2018 early access title Hades, now a 1.0 release, they've achieved the almost impossible for an indie team. A soaring Metacritic score, overwhelmingly positive fan reviews, major award wins and garnering recognition across the games industry for their design achievements. For posterity, it's worth noting that Darren and I spoke in late November 2020, around the time that COVID-19 was having a winter surge. I hope you enjoy our conversation. I did. So I got the PS5 because I have a friend who's like a Robin Hood of scalpers <laughs> where he like bought as many as he could and just sold them to his friends at cost so they wouldn't get so they wouldn't get scalped. <laughs> OK, so I didn't pre-order the Xbox because I didn't know that a that you'd be able to play Rock Band 4 on it ah, and B okay. that that it would load your entire giant library in like 40 seconds because, you know, it's a solid state hard drive. So, yeah. Yeah. So like right now, you know, I play rock band regularly. It's like my favorite, you know, I go, I come back to it every week or whatever and jam out and I have like 2000 songs. So it takes like, (laughs) you know, 15 minutes to load. Um, so this this is like, I was like, well, I just, I must have this as a quality of life sort of time saving thing now. So, I've been trying to get the Xbox, uh, and finally last night, Walmart released some more. And like my wife and I were both like on like two devices each trying to get it. And she managed to snag one. So, oh, so awesome. Awesome. So hopefully I'll, well, yeah. Cause last week we tried and failed again when they, when they release more. So, um, so I sh- should be getting it next week, hopefully. So, um, but, I mean, you would, you would, is it 2010 rock band world champion yeah and that yeah the that total rock total rewards uh north american thing yeah it was a battle I, I don't claim to be the most proficient rock band player in the world but i certainly like i could put on a show so we it was yeah. like you know it was partially score based but then it was also like costume and performance and whatever right you know? okay i see I see. this is like the air, a bit like the air guitar competitions or yeah. something we were all good like we were all playing on expert <laughs> and stuff but but we weren't like 100 percenting it live you know what i mean yeah 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 um, but but yeah that oh gosh it was that was a ton of fun thousand hours ten thousand hours into rock band yeah yeah 
do you think that informs Hades' score in some way? 150%. (laughs) (laughs) So a few things that playing Rock Band really kind of opened my eyes up to was, at first, you know, when I started playing, you know, I was doing kind of more guitar and bass because because I had I had come from the harmonics guitar hero games the the first couple, and when I start when I started playing the bass I started it it really made me kind of hear bass parts better and like have a produce like allow my producer ear to more finely tune like so what's going on in the bass here specifically like what's the rhythm of the actual because a lot of times it's just kind of mud you know. Um, mm. And you don't, you can't, you can't really tell exactly what's going on in the low end sometimes. And, and, um, and so that was really cool for me. And then when I started playing the drums and, and kind of ramped up to expert eventually, and then after playing a, a ton and like for, for years and playing like tr- experiencing like the re- pretty much a real translation of the actual part, these different drummers played and kind of like trying to embody all these different styles of you know is i i swear it made me such a better drummer it really did and and it it really improved my time like my timing um got a lot more precise and uh and just kind of overall like because i'm i'm one of those people who um i don't love drilling practice you know like i'm not a big guy who can just sit there and run scales for two hours. You know, I, I have never really had the, the patience for that. I like to play songs. And if there's a thing in the song that I can't do, then I'll practice that thing and then be able to, you know, it's like, and rock band has been really cool because it's sort of, I like, I'm pushing at the edges of my ability without noticing and, you know, sort of expanding that uh, over time and stuff. I used to be in covers bands, right? And that's the the real world equivalent of rock band of like learning songs that you might not, have otherwise chosen to learn for you know i was never going to learn the bg staying alive except someone requested it for a wedding and it's got a really good baseline it's killer yeah and i never would have kind of occurred to me and and also covers band and rock band they force you to finish a song as well it's not just about noodling on one little corner although you can always obviously practice that in isolation but but just to perform like you say performing it start to finish there's something Something to that, I think. And also, you know, like when I when I learn covers, usually I'm just like, oh, there's the chords. All right, cool. You know, (laughs) that I don't bother with the with this, the noodly nuances of the full everything. But the thing that's cool about Rock Band is you it is the part that was played on the recording. That's what it is. That's what you're doing. So every little grace note and all that stuff, it's all there. So so really like you're playing the thing. So that's what that that's something that I really appreciate about it, because that's sort of against my. Like, I don't normally really, you know, I'm like, like I, okay, cool. I get the idea, you know, sort of my, yeah, yeah. <laughs> my, my approach, but, but, uh, no, it's, it's been really cool to, um, kind of dig into some tunes in a way that I, I hadn't been able to before. And, and also come to appreciate a bunch of different types of music that I didn't really appreciate as much. Like I didn't, I wasn't like a big rush fan before playing them and like playing a bunch of rush and rock band. You know what I mean? I was like, oh, okay, I kind of dig, I kind of dig Rush. <laughs> you know, like there's there's certain musicians and musical even genres where they're the the composer's composer or the band's <laughs> band. You know, yeah, where, yeah, where yeah, yeah, yeah. unless you're into the minutiae of it, you don't quite realise the kind of genius. And it's, it's sometimes it's so inaccessible from the outside. And Rush is just such a, a lot. <laughs> 
to take in when you're trying to, you know, to listen. Yeah. I find it can be quite a weary listen sometimes. But if you're playing it, if you're practicing, and you listen, you know what the musicians are doing. It's this fascinating kind of almost like watching a sportsman perform or something. Eventually, I started to try and like learn some Rush songs to play for fun on the guitar or whatever. And and something I realized is that like, oh, this stuff is just fun to play. Like that's all these these riffs are. They're just things that are like fun to play on the guitar. <laughs> like, <laughs> but I have a feeling that if there's another rock band that there's going to have to be some Hades riffs in there because <laughs> it's just there's just some great fun riffs in there you know ah i would love that i've had some songs placed in some other harmonics games but my real my first love is the rock band my true love and so yeah if they came a knocking for for some of my tunes for rock band i would make it happen probably <laughs> Let's rewind a little bit um, because we can't talk about Rush all day, unfortunately. <laughs> What's your personal kind of origin story for both music and then how music brings you to video games? I started singing and performing in musical theater when I was probably about five years old. And I did that, you know, all the way through high school, basically. When I was about 11 or so, I picked up the guitar and kind of pretty quickly started playing in bands with my friends and writing songs and, and doing that whole thing. Um, I took some guitar lessons for a couple of years. I just, I kept doing that. And then in high school, I discovered recording and multi-track recording specifically. And, and I was so fascinated by it. It really captured me and, and I kind of went leaned hard into that and, and pursued that more. And I, you know, I went to college in New York, uh, and I studied, I had kind of an individualized major, but I studied music production and music business sort of kind of in a mix and, and some other stuff. And, uh, I interned in a recording studio for a couple of years. And then out of college, I was trying to kind of work in music any way I could basically like whatever gig, you know, I didn't really care what, what it was going to be. I was just wanted to have music be my job. And, uh, and so I was, you know, producing some local artists a little bit and and I was writing songs and trying to be a performing artist and stuff I took some hired musician gigs here and there but basically my my longtime buddy who I'd grown up with since we were eight years old Amir Rao we were in bands together all through you know starting in middle school and you know and onward playing D&D &D together and video games and stuff since we were little kids um he straight out of college got a job at EALA and after a couple of years, decided to kind of head strike out on his own with um, with a friend or two and, and co-found Supergiant. And when he was doing that, he just asked me to if I, if I was interested in doing all the audio for the game they were trying to make. Um, and I was like, yeah, of course I'll do that. That sounds awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have any experience, but thank you for asking me to do this. And so, yeah, I just, I jumped at the chance because it's, it's like, oh, of course that's what I want to do. You know, <laughs> I never really imagine myself doing audio for games but when i once i started doing it, i was like oh duh 
know, this is totally what I should be doing. We have a very, very similar story with the bands and the performing and everything and wanting to be in music. And then when you're like a 17 year old Radiohead fan or whatever, you're just like, I want to be in Radiohead. And it seems vaguely realistic. But of course, it's it's kind of not if life guides you down a slightly different path, as long as you can stay close to what what you're passionate about, sometimes that is by far the better outcome. You know, I'm not going to say, like, you were lucky to have known Amir. I I absolutely was, yeah. (laughs) Not necessarily. He was lucky to have known you. You know, it's it's paths intersecting and and colliding, yeah. Sure. It It all works out, yeah. Some of the other composers I've talked to, most of them are freelance... But whenever the subject comes up about sort of how rare it is to have an in-house composer, you're pretty much always the first example that people cite. And I guess Danny B now, but very, very few others. And even if a composer is tightly tied to a developer like Gareth Coker was for with Moon Studios for the Ori series, still it's, it, it really seems like you're the only one who has this... What, what seems from the outside like a wonderful kind of stability and uh, embeddedness. Um, what, what are the benefits day to day of of being in-house, do you think? I think the deeper you can be embedded in a project, the better able you're going to be to to write stuff for that project that's going to really work and, and it's going to feel right. And it's going to, I mean, for, at least for me, that's that's how I that's how I feel about it. You know, and I don't have a lot of other types of experience, you know, so this is sort of all I've done um, in games. But, you know, getting getting in right at the beginning of a project from, you know, early con talking about high level concepts and ideas and I can go off and start noodling, experimenting and bring that back to the table. And then that'll be like, you know, somebody will hear and go, ah, you know, let me try, you know, and then do a thing. Have you heard of Rush? (laughs) 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 And and uh but it's 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 interesting um, the you know that there's certainly um, a lot of synergy I think that we're able to create by all sort of working together um, on that stuff throughout the project and part of the thing that's interesting for me too is you know being a composer is only about a third of my job right yeah of course because I because I do all this I'm the audio director so I, and I do all all the sound design and all the voiceover direction and in the case of Hades a bunch of voice acting and stuff and you know the music music is the most fun part of my job in my opinion but <laughs> but, but yeah it's, it's about a third so the the other 60 some percent of the time that i might be continuing to make music where i a freelancer it's, it's spent you know doing the other aspects of of the audio It does seem idyllic. I mean, the pre-COVID, we see in the no-clip doc, you've got your standing desk and your huge pile of guitars. And I'm sure that there's a lot of budding, you know, games composers who are just like, oh, I would kill, you know, 
I would kill to be salaried and standing there in the office with everyone and just be able to pluck a thing off the wall. But there's still so much other work for you to do. Do you ever have trouble balancing those things or have you found you've been there so long now you must have a fairly stable kind of personal workflow? Yeah, I mean, I think I think on Hades, a lot of a lot of us really kind of found our grooves. And and for me, I really appreciated the different kinds of work because it was nice to sort of bounce from thing to thing. I, you know, because it's a bit of a marathon working on a project like Hades, especially because it was an early access for quite a while, you're really kind of chugging for for a long time. And something that really helped me not become fatigued with any particular aspect was that I was constantly sort of bouncing between the different uh, aspects of the audio. And that was really, I think, creatively helpful because by the time I got back to making music, I was like ready to make some music, yeah. you know, <laughs> let's do a 10 minute riff. heavy. Let's go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so, and, and, and the same can be said for the other stuff. It's like when I haven't done sound effects for a while, I'm like, all right, let's, Let's let's put out some sound effects. Let's make some sounds, you know, and <laughs> record, a, record a few thousand voice lines. Let's go, you know. <laughs> One of the most interesting parts of the documentary, I think, for anyone who's ever recorded themselves, right? Now, I'm recording myself doing this podcast and I've been a sort of frustrated musician recording myself. And there's just something about pressing the record button and trying to play for yourself that is quite difficult to do, quite off-putting. Uh, that when you get into a studio or a recording situation with someone else pressing record, you can just focus on what it is you're playing, what it is you're saying. But in the doc, it struck me that you, you're giving this fantastic performance as Zag um, and Skelly. Uh, and we'll talk about Zag's accent in a little bit because I, I have to know. <laughs> but but it just seemed like you were just, you've got the booth set up there and you've got the booth at, at home and you just, it just seems like you're just smashing through the lines but the delivery is so good. So how did you how did you get to that place where you could just absolutely dominate this this quantity of, <laughs> of stuff and keep the performance level up? I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with just patience and and because you know in in the documentary they're not showing all the takes; <laughs> they're only showing the last couple or whatever. I would say that I'm maybe a harsher critic of my own performance than when I'm directing other actors perhaps. And because I know as soon as I finished it, whether or not I want to do another one, I can just go, go, go. I can just do like 10 takes in the time it might take me directing another actor to do two or three. So, I mean, unless I nail it, I I can feel that that was the one I will, I will often do quite a few takes, especially on some of the chunkier lines where it's like, you know, there's a nuance to it and there's a lot of beats that I want to try and get across in the delivery. And, and sometimes that'll be like, I've certainly spent like 15 to 20 minutes on a line before, you know, but, but then there's hundreds of lines that are just like over there, you know, like that kind of thing, you know. <laughs> Zag is reacting to everything so much. It's not like God of War or something where he's going on this linear story and there's ups and downs and, and drama spikes or whatever. The type of game it is. But, but then of course, Supergiant Games it would seem evolved to fit the team and how the team works and stuff as well so so it, it does seem like the role was shaped around you as much as you are acting the role if that makes any sense yeah interesting i mean i i don't i mean i think in general that's a that's true for for super giant i don't know how much zag was shaped for to me uh, i mean i think that greg had a pretty clear 
idea of what Zag should be like, you know, based on we so we see Jen's concept art, we're like, okay, well, we we all I think we all kind of know what this guy is supposed to sound like, probably like just looking at this, you know. And you know, early on, we had some references of actors that we liked and characterizations that we thought would kind of we could pull from for Zag that might be cool, like uh, you know, Loki and you know, Tom Hiddleston as Loki is kind of one one reference point, and like like Asa Butterfield is an actor who I think has a really really nice vocal quality and has like sort of a endearing relatable thing going on, and and so like maybe it's sort of some combo of those you know those kind of dudes. There she is. It's got to be her. Then here goes nothing. <clears throat> In the name of Hades, Olympus, I accept this message. Why, good to see you, Charon, mate. Just minding my own business, taking in the sights, and sure is awfully convenient to be running into you like this. I had all this coin I wanted to get rid of. Well, this is awkward. <laughs> halt, Sagrius. Not one step further. Come on, Meg. Haven't we had more than enough of each other by now? Besides, don't you have someplace else to be? Your father sent me. All in all, I'd rather be on your bad side than his. Now you can turn back, like a good little man, or I can send you home the painful way. What'll it be? I'll have to go with the painful way. So how did you get the gig? I mean, did you call Tom Hiddleston <laughs> he was busy? You know, no, we, we, um, we had some auditions... Uh, you know, I so I recorded a bunch of sc- some scratch video, basically when, when we were trying to figure out what these characters would sound like. I did scratch for him. I did scratch for Skelly. I did scratch for maybe one or two other characters. And after it had been in the game for a bit, and we got some auditions, the team just kind of decided that they liked my scratch better than the auditions that we got. So so I was like, okay, I guess I'm <laughs> I guess I'm cast do by this. accident, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> by default, yeah. Well, they say that there's a complaint in the the music film scoring world, isn't there? That when a director cuts to temp music and then they fall in love with it and then everyone has a nightmare time trying to either license them and blah, 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 you know. But that's interesting that the team fell in love with your voice going around in their heads and the nature of early access and this thing being a kind of work in progress right the way up until the end. Yeah, and, and, um, you know, I think there are some advantages too of having the main character be accessible 100% of the time to just pick things up and add lines. And, and I think that workflow really is nice for us. So having some of the important characters be on team, I think was a really good uh, tool that we were able to use sometimes to like crank out iterations instantly. You know, one example of that is I think it was our first or second patch where we added the heat system to the game. And we noticed kind of right away that not that many people were engaging with the heat system. And because we hadn't included like the whole system of like that encourages you to do so uh, yet. So we really quick, I think it was like maybe like the day after it came out, somebody had the idea of the Skelly statues. There's some some like statues that Skelly provides that are like prizes for completing the game at different heat levels. And Greg wrote a bunch of dialogue for Zag and Skelly and I happened to do both characters and we were able to like Jen did these amazing you know this amazing art for the statues and you know, we were able to crank it out in like a day it was so fast <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> we turned yeah. around the whole thing in like a day and then put it in the game whereas if you've had to book Tom Hiddleston and give him the you know yeah like three months later you have a session and yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and you know and 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 just the sort of the agility that 
that allowed us to have, I think was a real benefit to the way we like to work. Yeah, but practicality aside, I think that Supergiant's massively increasing fan base now, thanks to this game, but also all along since Bastion, you know, they love your music. I think when people find out it's you as Zag, it's kind of like, oh, wow, what a talented dude. Isn't that nice in an incestuous way? And it makes Supergiant feel more like a family, you know, that rather than the extreme example, I guess, would be Kiefer Sutherland in Metal Gear Solid Five, where, well, I think they didn't even have him booked enough to finish the session. So there's just <laughs> these weird cutscenes where he doesn't say anything. But, but you can bring this passion to it and you can talk to the writer just there and you are the audio director, so you know what you want. Yeah, yeah. Oh, let's go back to Zag's accent. Right. I'm a middle-class Londoner, (laughs) but me and my friends back home, it's always mate, mate this, mate that. And Zag is always, people are saying mate to him, he's saying mate to everybody. Where did, where did it come from? Is it an English accent or is it a like New England thing or? Our approach to Zag's accent and the accent of a lot of the sort of gods in the game and stuff and, and some of the Greeks, when you think about portrayals of Greek mythology and media, it's, it's usually for some reason, you know, if they've got some sort of, of British accent. So our approach was, was trying to, to lean into that expectation and then, yeah. And then subvert it, of course, with the characterizations. And then, and then we had some, we had a division where some of the characters who are say like of the underworld or sort of the, you know, the, the chthonic gods for the most part and, and, and other types of characters don't have, uh, you know, have, have a sort of a American accent was that, that was how we thought about it. It also served a purpose of like kind of delineating those types of characters a little bit better just for people sort of subconsciously, even if you didn't think about it, you would know, well, these characters sound different from these characters for some reason. And so it's sort of like a regional <laughs> regional <laughs> dialect almost. But our approach to the accents themselves was like a Lord of the Rings right. British accent, like, <laughs> like kind of anything goes, you know what I mean? Where like four hobbits who grew up in the same place can have four different accents or whatever. Yeah. You know, it's fine. <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, two of them are American, so... And the two Americans have two different accents. Yeah, one of them's got a Wiltshire West Country, and then Lord knows what Elijah Wood's doing. He's just sort of doing his best, I think. Zag reminds me of very, very posh friends or acquaintances I met at, at university who were trying to sound more common by calling people mate but actually they were they were basically nobility yeah he's a prince you know i mean i think that it's it's funny because like i didn't i didn't consciously think about that while we were doing it and greg you know his writing is awesome and and i suspect that's something he considered just because he's like doing a little bit of code switching or whatever talking (laughs) to skelly like you know slumming it with the skeleton or whatever and calling him mate over here what the Nice place you got here, boyo. Name Skelly has it going, but enough with the smart talk already. I'm here to do a job. So let me have it. Give me everything you got. I don't remember having you on payroll, mate. Who's your supervisor? Oh, I'm not about to wrap my sources, pal. Just try and beat it out of me. If you insist. So I, th- I think that's that's probably part of it, is my suspicion. But I, you know, I can't speak for, for Greg on that, but... um. But yeah, I think it's like a, it makes, it makes perfect sense to me sort of in hindsight as a, as a choice. I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, that's, I like that little, little detail there. That's fun. To all the earth, no 
as Darren Corb, you really put yourself out there. And actually, when you said you were in musical theatre when you were younger, it starts to make sense a little bit. You're out there as a game developer and you you know, you know do the talks and you're very transparent about your process, which takes quite a high level of, of bravery. You're out there as a voice actor, the main character of, a, of this, this big project. You're playing gigs on stage, playing your own compositions. You're singing in falsetto, which is no mean uh, feat. <laughs> you know, that, take, that all takes guts. I mean, is that easier to do because you're part of a stable team rather than just on your own? I think so. I mean, at least some aspects of that are for sure. You know, I, I, I don't think were I the, say, some hi- the hired composer for a project like this that I would have been the scratch voiceover for, you know what I mean? Like that yeah. would, <laughs> it wouldn't have come about that same way. So, I mean, I think a lot of this stuff comes up because of the circumstances and, and they just kind of work, work themselves out that way. And the, the sort of live performances and all that stuff is super interesting to me and, and an aspect of stuff that I like to do a lot. And, you know, for that 10th anniversary show that we did um, at PAX with the orchestra, you know, that again, it's one of those things where we, we wanted to do a cool thing for fans for our 10 year anniversary. And we ended up kind of developing this elaborate plan for that. And, and, and it was sort of, I saw it sort of as like a learning opportunity and like a, a new kind of branching out thing to try. And I'm always interested in, in expanding my comfort zone sort of as much as I can and, and just trying new stuff. And as I sort of gain some, a little bit more confidence in the things that I'm doing. I'm interested in incorporating more things that I'm less confident <laughs> in. You know, For me, I, I think it's a, important to find a balance of stuff that you are confident about and stuff that you are like nervously excited about. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> um, so it's, it's fun. It's always fun to try to f- seek out that stuff, I think. Well, if it makes any difference, I think of you as a, like a r- video game rock star basically (laughs) thank you yeah literally because of the rock uh but but also just the the confidence with which you do think just exactly like you say expanding beyond what you're comfortable doing and expanding your range and stuff i think um that's really really uh impressive awesome thank you the fourth super giant game was there anything you personally did different going into this than you did sort of for previous games i think one big difference for hades is that our sort of pre-production period was short um relative to our other games and that was kind of exciting for me because it it created a situation where we couldn't sort of spin our wheels too too much 
we had to kind of like trust our instincts a little bit more, which I really actually enjoy that kind of process where you, you just kind of follow where your gut tells you and see what happens. And, and that's, that's really exciting. Uh, an exciting way for me to work and if you don't mind me saying that the subtext with some of the the no clip documentaries is that for at least transistor and pyre that maybe the team was spending quite a lot of time spinning their wheels yeah to get those yeah. things going absolutely we had long pre-production periods for both of those games and you know i think it led to interesting stuff that was maybe a little headier than than the stuff that we we gravitate towards when we, when we don't quite have quite as long to theorycraft forever. But, you know, I, I think the thing that our team our like our strength as a team, I think is the sort of production, just like making stuff is the thing that, that is my favorite stuff that we do. So, so I w- it was fun to be able to spend even more time on this project, just sort of just kind of going to town and making tons of stuff. <laughs> uh, so that was really, really, uh, really cool for me and and i think that's probably the the biggest process change because because on previous projects especially bastion i would say there's more like you know when i was before i was a full-time super giant employee you know on bastion there i would send you know i'd make a piece and i'd get some feedback on it and maybe i'd make some changes or something um but you know as as the projects have gone on there's there's less of that as everybody's sort of more confident in everybody else's point of view in their wheelhouse you know and and there's sort of less meticulous oversight of other you know everybody's sort of the ruler of their own kingdom more now than than they than previously i think and and i think on this particular game because everybody was just so on the same page it really was liberating because everybody could just go and just make make the stuff and or at least i I certainly could and and um and that's how i felt i i just was like well i need a piece for this section for this moment for this area and i made i you know i sort of specked out all the stuff i wanted occasionally greg would be like hey we could use a piece for this kind of thing and i'm like yeah we should we should yeah i'll do that you know and and then i just kind of went to town and and put him in the game and and um occasionally i would iterate on, on them but but a lot of the stuff just like just went straight in just going you know <laughs> super giants almost like an experiment about like what what happens when you have these mononymic games right one word bastion transistor pi what was different this time is that the word hades you say hades to someone and if as long as they know enough about greek myth you know immediately they can have a vision of it right whereas transistor i don't know if a lot of people even know what transistor is or pyre you know is a word just the words whereas hades is just like right we're going to the underworld we're going to fight some guys I'm either going to be Hades or I'm going to meet him or he's going to be the final boss or whatever. And it's just very direct and quite simple. And like you say, with the early access and the the the, the path you guys followed with this one, just kind of throwing yourselves head first and not giving yourself too much time to think. And, you know, look at the results. Look at the, the awards you're being lined up for and have already won and uh, the critical acclaim, the fan acclaim, the Steam rating. It's... It's incredible, really. Yeah, it's 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 the response has been uh, thoroughly overwhelming, <laughs> to say the <laughs> least. Uh, really, really exciting to to see people respond so positively. Because um, I mean, people have have had really nice things to say about all of our games for sure, but it's never been sort of this much and this unanimous. I would say, like in terms of the the sort of volume of people saying really very kind things <laughs> about it, it's been really um, really awesome. 
for sure. And, and, and it's super validating because we certainly like, I think some aspects of the clarity of the concept of this game were sort of, we, we set out to do something like that. You know, each game we make is very much a response to the previous one in a lot of ways. And, and we wanted a game we could like describe in a sentence, you know, whereas Pyro would take like a while to kind of <laughs> like basketball okay, but yeah, fancy, but... <laughs> to tell people about what it actually is. And so, so that, that feels really good to have that sort of acknowledge that, that it's sort of clear and that people can sort of understand what it is uh, right away. But then, but then there's, you know, we tried to build in sort of as much depth and, and excitement into that and surprise as we could, you know. talking to gareth coker a while back before he was announced as the halo infinite composer when he was just launching will of the wisps and he said something quite interesting to me which is that on one of the trailers for will of the wisps there was a lot of hype because people loved blind forest and on the trailer for will of the wisps someone had written the comment something along the lines of oh, it's Moon Studios and Gareth Coker. Of course it's going to be good. <laughs> and Gareth says his mental response to that was, well, you don't know that's going to be good. I'm the one who's got to sit here and make it. I don't know if it's going to be good. There's no guarantee. This is really hard. It's nice. The confidence is nice that the fan <laughs> has. The, that's, that's certainly nice. What you say seems to suggest that you felt maybe less pressure because of the way this project was structured and you just sort of went into it or was that is that pressure there because it's super giant and your fan base is growing and they sort of expect a certain level of quality that's not at the front of my mind when i'm working on the music for these games and and for me it's really about serving the project and i and that stuff is all sort of like maybe there then i will consider moments like what's a moment that i know it's good you know i really want to execute on but i know is going to be like a thing that people would love to, you know, the sort of finding Eurydice singing. I'm like, okay, I want this moment. I want that. I'm going to see, I'm going to seek an opportunity for this moment in this game, you know, but in general, it's, it's, it's really about serving the project and trying to figure out how I can best enhance the experience tonally, uh, emotionally, and, and, and really sort of, you know, not be distracting, but be there to, you know, just serve the experience as much as possible. You've carved out a niche musically for yourself to insert very strong flavors into these games you know it's not background music it is an active participant in the action i would say and anyone playing hades with the sound off is is missing a lot i'd say <laughs> <laughs> yeah this is, yeah certainly certainly i i i it's three years of my life that they're turning on the, the Let's pivot to genre because you're you you're very good at coming up with fun genre names from old old interviews. Like Bastion was acoustic frontier trip hop. I have I have here. I do love a bit of trip hop. Uh, Transistor was old world electronic post rock. I couldn't find one for Pyre, but I giving it a slight listen, I sort of came up with medieval hard rock with bar- bard ballads, <laughs> stuff like that. I think I think it was like. Um... 
there's like acoustic, there's like seventies, like fantasy rock, like a cult. <laughs> I forget something like that. But basically, like for me, the 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 thing that I wanted that 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 was the root of the music for that game is like I want to make a whole genre of music by extrapolating out the beginning of Stairway to Heaven <laughs> <laughs> and just like into a genre of music. <laughs> And just with the flute and the like, yeah, gently yeah. up. <laughs> and then for Hades, I believe it's Mediterranean prog rock Halloween music. Yes. How early in the project did you have that, you know, composite genre, subgenre? For the first few months, we had sort of a different, um, we knew it was going to be Greek myth related, but we had a pretty different approach and a different protagonist and just kind of like a different story focus. It was going to be like a labyrinth sort of minotaur Theseus thing oh cool okay but then we we were into it but no it was like not exciting in the way that we wanted it to be so greg sort of pitched this kind of creative turn that we we ended up with you know with hades and zagreus and the whole thing and and instantly everybody was like oh yeah that's better (laughs) okay let's do that and so it wasn't until that happened and i made uh i think the first piece i made in the style that was for that was um out of Tartarus. Once I made that, I was like, okay, that's it. That's the genre. I'm going to, let's keep, I'm just going to keep doing that. Um, and yeah. And then, and then some, sometime shortly after that, I, I started calling it uh, Mediterranean prog rock Halloween music. <laughs> was prog rock an obvious fit for Hades? Was it in some ways inevitable because you are the musician you are and your tastes are what they are and it was going to be a, you know, a violent action game that was going to need some some rocking stuff. Was it kind of inevitable? And, and, and you know, the pieces were going to have to be long to carry the player through. So it's kind of inevitable, isn't it, that you'd, you'd land on prog rock? I mean, for me, you know, it's, it's interesting because I, I wanted to have like a metal component to the music because it's in hell. <laughs> and it's like, I would feel bad if I didn't, if, yeah. you know, there, there's just a, it's just right there for the, you know, I got to grab at it, you know. But then coming, you know, coming at it from a couple of different angles, so it's not just regular old metal. It's some something, something a little a little spicier. Uh, yeah, for me, you know, I, the 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 sort of prog rock identification for me really just speaks to both the sort of rock and nature of it, but more the sort of strange time signature stuff. Yes, yeah. And I really wanted to do that because I thought I just think there's something hellish <laughs> about weird ass time signatures <laughs> there's something that is unsettling and at, can add an extra layer of subliminal excitement when you sort of make something in an odd time signature in a way that's not super not necessarily super obvious but it, but you can feel it and so that was something i wanted i knew i wanted to focus on and, and coincidentally the sort of the mediterranean folk aspect i was using sort of mediterranean instruments but i was listening to like you know, Finnish folk and other stuff that has like crazy time signatures as well. So it was sort of like a common, 
it was almost like a common ingredient in both of those things, which I thought was really cool. Like there's this band, Vartina. I think they're Finnish. And they have a, a song called, I, I can't pronounce it. I don't know how to say it, but it's, <laughs> but it's in 21.8 compound meter. Oh my God. <laughs> realized that for a lot of sort of old school traditional folk music like that the time signature is just a vocal phrase and however long that vocal phrase is that's the time signature and i thought geez that's an interesting approach to riff writing like i'm just gonna write a riff and that's the time signature (laughs) like oh duh okay the riff is 21 beats 21 i mean that's the essence of guitar led Metal. I mean, when I was growing up, my mates were like showing me Perfect Circle, Deftones, Dream Theater, and we were just learning those riffs and we weren't thinking too much about the time signatures. Dream Theater's Metropolis Part 2, the album, there's a song on it called Home. There's a couple of spicy bits that remind me quite a lot of Hades, but it's all about the riffs, that joy of riffs. So it's lovely that you can bring that to to gamers because there's been plenty of metal and rock and stuff in video games. But in my head, there's a new space opening up in indie scene. Do you know um, Risk of Rain and Chris Christotelou? Yeah, the music for that game is really cool. And he's, like you, very, very talented multi-instrumentalist, just making these prog rock epics. And they're really loud and they're really kind of in your face and the fans love it. Yeah, no, the, the, I played a decent chunk of that game, and I think that was probably my single favorite component of the game. Was just I thought this, the music was just like, yeah, this is this is rad. Like, pretty good good vibe going on here. <laughs> going back to like Final Fantasy, like mid nineties Final Fantasy, Nobuo Uematsu's doing that synth prog rock. for a while hasn't it those, those kind of riffage maybe people just didn't quite pick up on it because it wasn't a guitar recorded in you know yeah just like a whole different arrangement and so the arrangement fooled people yeah into thinking it was like its own different thing yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's super super fun to do i uh, I, I really enjoyed it uh, working on music for hades for sure because i just kind of got to go nuts a little bit more than that i've got <laughs> been able to do in the past that i could just kind of go to town and rock out to my heart's content and and uh 
you know, and, and in fact, I had to sort of even like rock a little bit more than I wanted to sometimes. Like I was like, this needs, my instinct is to sort of not go this far, but I'm going to, I'm going to go that far. Yeah. I mean, you, you, because there's no one to tell you to stop. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what your relationship is with the other team but i'm not i'm sure they're not going to turn around and say you can't have a 13-8 bar there darren it doesn't you know <laughs> no they don't care it's not like a baz lerman film where they're editing frames to the music and music to the frames or something it's a it's a fun video game and and you're having fun and that makes players have fun yeah and i tended to find that the crazier i would go the more the rest of the team was like oh rad you know <laughs> so i was like okay i guess i'm gonna keep going crazier <laughs> And as a bassist, I particularly love that it's the bass guitar that lingers in the mix between rooms to keep the tension alive. I mean, was that something that was an easy and obvious choice? Or was it something that you came about where you were playing around with stems and interactive music? Yeah, I mean, I think it was a little bit of both. I mean, we have actually, so the the way it works is we have a slightly semi-randomized system for what stems can continue to play after the drums turn off. And so I believe the combinations are uh, nothing, just bass, or bass and gu- guitar. Right, right. And those are the sort of combinations of things that can play. Like so, the, and then the drums will turn on and off uh, in in combat, and then off when you're out of combat. In general, that's sort of most of the way it works. And we have the three stems and yeah, basically it's set up so it can play like either, you know, those three combinations of things like zero other things besides the drums, just the bass or the bass and guitar. And it'll sort of programmatically choose randomly at the beginning of each chamber, what arrangement it's going to be basically to sort of keep it fresh um, <laughs> and to get some extra longevity out of the, out of the music, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it's a vital job, isn't it? That you've got to, keep the tension going and keep kind of pushing players through I've got a sneaking suspicion that you've got some Game of the Years coming your way. I just saw it. Was it a top of times 20 games of 2020? Yeah, top, top 10 time. Yeah, we Game of the Year for Time Magazine, which is pretty not too shabby. <laughs> and then Golden Joysticks for Best Indie Game, Critics' Choice, um, nominated for Ultimate Game, eight categories in the Game Awards. I appreciate you've worked very hard for three years and, and 10 years and the years before that. There's no such thing as an overnight success. What does it feel like in this moment between having kind of finished the game properly and this incredible love for the game and now what seems to be this kind of hopefully a wave of, of recognition from the industry coming? I mean, it's certainly surreal and it's just a mind-blowing, incredible thing. I mean, we've had a little bit of this kind of recognition for a couple of other other games but not not to this degree, I don't think. And 
sort of something that we're acutely aware of is that the industry every year is more and more crowded and there's more and more incredible games that come out every single year. And, and, you know, when we released on XBLA, you know, Bastion on XBLA, like in 2011, you know, there were like tens of games or whatever, you know, now there's thousands of games. So we do not take for granted how sort of miraculous it is to float to the to like the top of the conversation, you know, is, is really, is really remarkable. Um, and we're super grateful and excited and just honored to, to be up next to these games that people have, a lot more people have spent a lot of time and money on and really talented people have made these incredible games that we're sort of in the same categories with, you know, there's like 19 of us in a, you know. And I'm sure it's going to be quite emotionally weird because of the pandemic and uh, I saw in the documentary the break-in and you know it's just been a lot for everyone and and, you know the people who worked on those other games as well but you guys have been so open about this both early access showing your work early and unfinished and the the kind of terror that might come along with that uh, and uh, you know the exposure of that and then this documentary that's in the in this lovely new tradition, like with a double fine documentary of people in San Francisco being just really cool about <laughs> letting people see what they're up to, um, which is, you know, it's compulsive viewing, to be honest. That that double fine doc and these Hades docs, once you start watching, it's like a drama. And that's credit to the documentarians, but also credit to to you guys for being so open. So yeah, I can't imagine the mixture of of just stuff that's going through your head and it's going to take a while to work its way through and, and, and there's not going to be award shows you can kind of go to and soak it in. <laughs> yeah. It certainly would have been nice to be able to sort of celebrate with all the, the my coworkers who've, you know, just poured their hearts into this game for a few years. And yeah, if, if just to sort of be able to attend those kinds of events and stuff, it's like a, a nice special thing. But um it's a first world problem. You know what I mean? It's like, there's worse things happening right now than that. So, but yeah, it's been um, certainly different kind of finaling this game in isolation, basically. I mean, you're interacting with people on zoom all day, but um, we're, you know, in and out throughout the day, but, uh, and Slack, I was remote for Bastion and Transistor um, entirely uh, because I lived in New York, you know, before I had moved back to where the studio is and, and so I have some experience doing it. It's just, it's been a bit, you know, so I had to like readjust and and figure that out again. And it worked out all right. I mean, I think there were some sort of, some silver linings to the whole thing where, you know, the sort of commute time, like not existing, I could like spend two more hours a day on working on Hades, you know, <laughs> and that was good. Like, I, Or practicing rock band. Yeah, or practicing rock band, yeah. you playing at the moment and enjoying and who who else's work have you been uh, appreciating i just finished uh miles morales spider-man miles morales which i thought was a ton of fun i had a blast i mean i loved the first one and i thought this one was awesome and just kind of in a lot of ways i kind of it was like a tighter experience 
you know, and I appreciate that about it. I thought it was like really, and then of course the sort of no loading at all is amazing. (laughs) It is amazing. It's like a magic trick. The fast travel is truly faster, you know, now, and you don't have to sit on the subway for (laughs) a minute in between now. It's amazing. Um, and that, that experience was, was, was delightful. And then I'm, I'm playing the pathless, which is really cool. And Austin's score is great for that. And I, I was, uh, I happened to be at Abbey Road for one of the sessions for the music for that game. And that was just amazing to see. And then to hear sort of some of that stuff in context is really fun. And I've been checking out Astro's Playroom, actually. It was, like, really kind of delightful and, and like, yeah, it's sort of a glorified tech demo, but it's actually really nice and, and pretty well executed. There's some incredible audio stuff happening. And the way they integrate the controller speaker into the sound design is, like, very... There's some really fun, inspired things in there that I really like. Like even all the footsteps like come out of there, all sorts of cool stuff. Interacting with things and the I showed it to my son at the beginning where they show you like the different features of the controller and like a bunch of little guys climb inside your controller and then it tells you to like shake your controller around and you hear the speaker in your controller. You're going like, you know, it's just like, (laughs) ah, cool. That's awesome. Are there any comfort games that you have that you go back to or maybe even albums, soundtracks that, that you put on occasionally from other games? Sure. Yeah. I mean, um, I'm now a recovering Hearthstone addict, uh, let's say. <laughs> I quit cold turkey like just before the pandemic, I think. So that's good. It gave me lots of time back that I had spent every day on trying to grind out those daily quests. So that that was a comfort game for me. When I think of a comfort game, I think of a game I keep coming back to. I mean, certainly like I've had comfort games throughout my life that are games that I've just replayed. Like Diablo 2, I've played like a million times and and I played it for like 10 years, you know, on and off. And then uh, Fallout 2 is an example of a game I've played like start to finish, you know, over a dozen times. And then uh, Knights of the Old Republic, the, the first one, occasionally I'll just like do a comfort playthrough of one of those. Like I actually last year or something, I think I played through Knights of the Old Republic again, just kind of speed played through it. It's just I know every little beat and story moment, and every, <laughs> you know, like I know every where to go how to do all the quests and stuff. Yeah. One of those games you can play in your head, in your own head. And then soundtracks, you know, the, there's one soundtrack that I was really inspiring to me, um, like as a teenager. And I was probably, I must've been 12 or 11 when the game came out. Dungeon Keeper, the original Dungeon Keeper. That soundtrack is such a rad, odd soundtrack because it's sort of half sound design, half score. And so there's like ambient kind of creepy dungeon stuff happening, like drips and weird like moaning and stuff. And then at some point it'll just transition into like quirky industrial, like spooky. It's like cool, (laughs) you know, and then kind of back and into the ambience. 
it's so effective. It, that game, that game has such a really interesting, effective soundtrack that it's and it's got its own vibe entirely. Just like the whole game kind of has its own vibe, and so that's one that I'll I'll come back to every once in a while and, and think about just because it's so impressive to me that the way they, the way they approach that at the time because it's like kind of full soundscape approach to scoring, and it's just a looping track, you know. So they they gave it a lot of stuff interesting stuff that happens so it doesn't you don't really feel the loop even I have a feeling, Darren, that your score for Hades and indeed your entire kind of growing catalogue for Supergiant are going to inspire a few more generations of uh, of gamers and game musicians and uh, it's just incredible achievement i do feel for you guys uh, that you won't necessarily get to bask in each other's company and in the company of the industry to sort of really celebrate the achievement of hades and all of this this hard work and i hope it doesn't get overshadowed by the gravity and size of geopolitical you know goings on and uh, and yeah thank you very much for your time and uh, for your answers and uh, yeah all the best yeah my pleasure <laughs> <laughs> 